We go again, everyone, for Out of Your League. Hi, Mark. Hi, Will. You look a bit worse for wear. Do you want, yeah. to, talk, do you want to talk us through it? I am a little worse for wear, a little croaky, a little horsey. Um, City won the lead, didn't they? So we had a little party. Who's we? Um, woke up in a bed with Sean Wright Phillips. Okay. Um, which was nice. Anything just, just sleeping buddies are? Uh, no, there's a bit more than that, but um, I don't really want to go into it. And yeah, yeah we you know, out with all the lads. The lads. China White, what an awful place that is. But yeah, yeah it was a good All night. the big dogs and you were the little good dog. Good game, wasn't it? Good, yeah, game. good game. Good game. Anyway, we don't want to talk about football, do we? No, no John Wilkin here. Um, Hurrah. Which is, which is good. Yep. I think a lot of people are happy with that. Um, so another opportunity to, to burgle to, his yeah. house. Yeah, oh, and for me to get a word in. Yeah, because he, he's away again. He's, he's in yeah. Turkey. We're not quite sure why he's gone to Turkey. People only go to Turkey for one or two things, don't they? Teeth or tits and hair. Teeth, fillers, yeah. hair. Is he, is he having an operation? Um, I wouldn't like to comment. No. But again, this is your chance, and we are recording this, but he will be away for another week after this goes out, so his house will be empty. <laughs> and yeah. you know where that key is? We told you last time, didn't we, Down On the pump pot, near the back door. Pink flower pot round yep. the back on the left. Yep. Um, go and fill your boots. Um, we are joined by rugby league royalty, Mark. Look at this. JP is in the house. Mr. Jamie Peacock, thank you so much. Pleasure. For coming down to, to see us, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm well. Yeah, yeah. Um, probably a little bit better than yourself. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I, had to, I had to get up and be on telly with 48 minutes sleep. Yeah, I know you're the so, best. I know, I think I am the best. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they said I should do it drunk more often. Yeah, sounds about um, right. JP, so much to talk about, mate. So, so much to talk about. I mean, no one's won the grand final as many times as you have. Do, do you ever, first, I was just thinking this when I was walking over, do you ever do the Tom Brady and just stick all the rings on at once? <laughs> <laughs> do you know what? I can't even get the rings on my fingers, so none of the rings fit. That finger's absolutely mangled. <laughs> Crikey, that is a so, hand um, so a tumour on your yeah, finger. Yeah, What's happened to that finger, JP? Uh, What's what happened? Tackling El Crabtree. <laughs> That's what <laughs> caught in his hair. Yeah. I don't know what he got caught on. Crikey. Two or three weeks later, he had a finger like that. <laughs> wow. It's disgusting, right? <laughs> you need to go to Turkey. Um, well, it depends how white John's teeth are when he comes back. <laughs> I'll see him on Saturday, right? The big other final. But yeah, no, I never put them on. Um, I give a couple away. Have you? Yeah, I, I give one. Uh, well, my dad had one, you know, and nice. he's obviously passed away. Yeah. Uh, and I, I give one to uh, Wella Iraqi after the. Uh, I can't remember what final it was because I, I thought he played all year. For me, I thought he should have been in the team, you yeah. know, and he'd been a major part of it all year round. So I said, you know. I just wanted him to, him to have it. Oh, um, mate. So, yeah, what, that's so, what a hero. Um, I gave mine away to a burglar who stole, <laughs> yes, stole you did my have two stole, cars and uh, nothing else, yeah. Yeah. I wonder where that is right now. Yeah, I wonder I whether know. they melted it down and It'd be an old turned it somewhere into somewhere. Tommy Field Market, probably. That's a, so so there's not that sort of sentimentality that you needed to keep all the collection together? And um, I think sometimes in life it's good to be able to give things away that you really like, right? Yeah. And I think that's a good thing to be able to do in life. So for me, you know, the, the, none of them are out. Um, they're all away in a box somewhere. And, uh, yeah, that's how I like to do it. It's, do it, you know, with the stuff from my career. I, I don't really... I, it's good to look back when we do stuff like this, but yeah. I'm not um, I'm not essentially doing that every day, you know. I'm, I'm going past stuff that I've won and going, oh, that's great. You yeah. know? It's the memories and the feelings you had on those days that, that you really take with you, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. I mean, they're, they're the things that stay with you, how it felt, who you was with, that feeling of winning together, you know of putting that effort in 40, 40, 45 weeks and coming out on, on top. And generally, you know, we, we'd win um, a grand final when we are an underdog and that's always mm. a better feeling, right, when you're an underdog to win. So for me, it is more about that, that, the associated memories rather than the, 
the uh, the ring with it. I'm yeah. sure my kids will think different, you know, when I'm passing them, passing them down yeah, yeah. the line. But yeah, that's how I see it. Yeah. Uh, didn't you want to say you'd give up all your rings for a win over Australia in the Four Nations? I will, do you know what? I will, I will give them all up for a series win against Australia. I probably say you know that the I, I, do, I have a people ask about regrets. Um, I've only got two kind of really minor regrets in my career. Uh, the first one would be that, in, you know, when I retired from international rugby in 2013, I got asked to play in the World Cup. I turned them down because I said that I won't do it to my friends and family. And I was doing the commentary for the BBC. There were 75,000 people watching England play against New Zealand. That's the best game of rugby I've ever seen live. And I thought I should be playing in that. But then my only regret is the, this Ashes series against Australia in 2003. We lost the Ashes series 3-0. But we were only behind for, I think, 16 minutes out of the 240 minutes in the old game. We were only behind the last five or six minutes of each game. And... That's my only regret that we, you know, what I know, knew at the end of my career compared to what I knew then about what it takes to win a game. I wish I'd known that then and wish I'd been able to, because we could have won that series easily 3 0. Mm. I'm really fascinated, JP, to figure out where this disciplined leader came from and how early that sort of started in your childhood. What was life like for you as a kid growing up, Bramley, Yorkshire? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I come from a working class background. My, my dad's uh, dad run his own business making false teeth. And uh, was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sort of John didn't yeah. need to go to Turkey, did he? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, um, so I started playing rugby as a five-year-old at Stanley. It's something I really enjoyed doing. That's um, early. That is early, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so, so my friend came up with um, a letter into school. The local club were asking for players, you know, to go down, stand on the So I give it to my dad. My dad took me down. You know what? I think it was a good excuse for my dad to get out of the house because my, my memories of being like a five to like 12, 13 year old was mm. going training on Wednesday nights and my dad thinking about 10 pints afterwards while we run around in the club afterwards. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's parenthood for yeah, you. That's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. Just let us get on with it, right? Yeah. But yeah, I think, you know, some, are, some things I think are, are inside you. You know, I always remember I'm never the best great player but I'd always want to compete hard for everything and mm. you know people always said if we were losing by loads I'd be the one kid who would just always kind of keep trying and I've got like a, a little story around um, just about finding a way to make things happen so when I was about a nine year old mm. um, and the famine was on in Ethiopia um, and everyone, we'd, they'd done like Band-Aid, but then they did Run the World and they, they flipped that Tears of Fear song, right? Mm -hmm. Rule the World to Run the World. And I said to mum and dad, look, I, I want to take part in one of these runs and I want to raise some money. And they said, look, you, you know, you're too young to go do that. You can't go out there and do that. So I said, so what I did was I kind of like measured around the street and I worked out that if you go around 20 times, it was 5K. And the mm -hmm. next day I said to my mum, I'm going to run around the street 20 times instead, if that's all right. She said, yeah, agreed to it. And ended up raising about £26 or whatever for charity. So at the time, I think that's quite normal to do. But when you look back, yeah. it's not quite a normal thing for a nine-year-old to go no. out. Just solve that problem yourself. Where did, where did that come from? Where I have no that idea, right? Bob Geldof come from at such a young age? Yeah, yeah. I have no, <laughs> no idea. But to me, when I look back on that story now, I, I think one of the things that allowed me to be successful in the game is never knowing when you beat, right? And always wanting to find a way to win. Mm. And that, I think, is just the same story. It's finding a way to do something when you've been told you can't do it. That's yeah. the same as winning as an underdog. Yeah. And can you think of any memories before that that led up to you kind of putting yourself out there and trying to raise money for other people? Um, well, my it's strange, isn't it? Yeah, it's a strange, it's a strange thing. Um, I think it's... 
my memory's pretty hazy <laughs> behind a nine-year-old. Uh, so I, I can't remember any other like kind of singular events off the top of my head that stand out for me mm. like that. But that one kind of stood out, out yeah. for me, you know, because I remember my mum got my name put in the local papers, you know, for raising the money, and that kind of stood out for me. I managed to get my name in a paper, like, it's pretty chuffed. That's a big nine, thing when you... Yeah, you're nine years it. old, right? And you've got to think in the 80s, the papers are a bit bigger than they are now, right? Yeah. It's, it's a big thing, the newspapers. Mm. What was... Um, you mentioned your dad a couple of times, and, and obviously, you know, we'll get to... Tragic ending, yeah. wasn't it? You know, 2011, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was diagnosed with, with the brain tumour, uh, sorry, yeah. with lung cancer, yeah. and, um, and you know, survived a couple of years after that, didn't he? But what was your relationship like with him? Because I, I think I've read before you saying that he never sort of told you he was proud of you and so on, but you saw him crying in the stands and that was enough. Yeah, that's it. You know, my, my, my dad was the uh, kind of old school, right, as we probably... Um, most people our age had dads that kind of way. It's not about revealing your feelings and mm. you're just a pat on the head and, and that'd do. And my dad was really quiet, you know, and he was a lot more patient than I, than I. I mean, he's different. He had different qualities than I have as a person. Um, so for me, you know, a little bit of that, I saw that a little bit um, when I was younger as my dad not having an opinion. I just think, Dad, why haven't you got an opinion on things? But then mm. as you get older, you realise, you know, having patience and uh, having time for everybody is a great strength. My dad's great strength as a person was that he had time for everyone. You know, if, any, if you, anybody asked him about his old amateur rugby club's days, he'd say he was a great fellow, he's got time for everybody. He'll, sit, mm. he'll listen to you and he'll say all right to people. So he, he, he was good for me. He put lots of... Um, it took me the places you want to go. You want somebody who's going to try uh, help you uh, become a professional, teach you in the right way. But I think, you know, as I got older and I, I was playing in the professional ranks, I think he was really proud of it. You could, you could tell it was. You can tell when you look at somebody in the eye, can't you? And you know him well. You can mm. see kind of what's inside him. Uh, with that, and I think you know, one of the qualities I got from my dad was that hard work. My dad was always an hard working guy, you, you know, run his own business. You, you have to work hard or it fails, right? Uh, so, you know, that's a quality again I, I think I, I got from him. Yeah, it's mad how that's changed, isn't it? In the, in the day and age that we are now, and obviously you do a whole lot of motivational yeah. speaking and so on, but just how sort of parenting has changed. That was such an old school mentality from yeah. old dads, wasn't it? Particularly old northern dads. Yeah, exactly right. I don't think my dad ever said to me, Oh, I love you. You know, ever, but wow. you just kind of knew, right? Do you know what I mean? I kind of knew. It didn't, it didn't affect me in any way whatsoever. So when you're parenting now, it's completely different. Yeah, I was going to ask right? you, has that changed the way that you, you are as a dad? Um, I think so, yeah. I realised, um, because it didn't really affect me, but I know I've got to make an effort to, to say that more, more often. I'm probably a bit like lean towards what my dad was like, whereas I, I do, you know, deeply love my kids, but you, you need to tell them a bit more often, mm. you know? That's what you, you kind of work out what, what needs to be done. It is a different kind of uh, way of parenting now, yeah. right? It's, more, it's not more about telling people, it's more about almost like coaching your kids in life, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and they're, they're letting them have their viewpoints. If Jamie Peacock wasn't a rugby league player, I always love this question to, to uh, and I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I read somewhere that you, you might have been a meteorologist or an astrologist. Where does the inner geek come no, from? No, no, the inner geek, like, I, I've, I like a, a bit of geekery. I love a bit of science, love a bit of maths. I will, I will not get away from that. Um, and I, I always feel a bit of fascination with the weather, but for me, you know, I probably, I was working at the time, before starting professional, you know, 18 and a half, I was working just for DHL, but I was in charge of like four lads, uh, this big contract that they had sorting stuff out. So I imagine I, I'd have worked my way up through there. I think mm. with a big company like that, you can progress. So I imagine I've been doing that, not yeah. not just saying it's going to rain tomorrow. That's all you What was the the first moment, do you remember? Because you said you started playing at five, which I mean, that just yeah. seems, I mean, it's amazing that you yeah. started that early. What was the, the moment where rugby league had you? 
Um, I, I think straight away, I think I just always remember being younger and just enjoying training and being with my teammates and, and liking the physical side of it. And just, you, I, I think memories like that, it's hard to pull out exact ones with exact detail, but you more get a feel for what, how you felt that day, how you felt with, mm. when you look back at those emotions, mm. you know, are they pleasant emotions or are they not pleasant emotions? And, and for me, um, Round rugby, certainly when I was younger, it's something I, I really enjoyed, I think. And that, that I look back and I can't, th no kind of bad memories stick out for me as a, as a, a, a young child going up playing rugby. Mm. So how did the, the move to Bradford come? Because you joined them in 1998. And yeah. I think you, when you got on the bus, and this is a big part of your motivational yeah. speaking, is um, there's a story that <laughs> yeah, a lot. You, you just kept going but yeah. if your first training session you were so nervous yeah that's right you know and I, I, when I was younger I never made like a Leeds or a York side or an England side I was never really marked out to be a, a professional rugby league player which kind of knocks your confidence a bit but I kept playing you know playing for the open age at Stanley uh, playing for the under 16s under 18s then I got my chance uh, Bradford Bulls started to watch me play. Asked me to come train for a training session, and I, I caught the bus up the like 508 bus, which mm. was back then from Bramley up to Bradford, and I just got more and more nervous about it, and just bottled it. By the time I, I got there, you, you know, and I just thought, I just stayed on, stayed on the fucking bus till it. Till it <laughs> Any more to get Alifax. off of this stuff but at Otto? Vanessa, you got off again. Yeah, no, Halifax. I had to get off. Did and you, you imagine I had, I had no mobile phone, right? Yeah. So I found a payphone. You know, speak to my dad. He's upset, teaching me some new swear words, which is a lot coming from my dad, who's a pretty like calm guy. What did you say to him? He said, I've not gone. I said, what do you mean you've not gone? I said, I, I bought it, I stayed on the bus. So then what, was, what was going on in your head then? I was just thinking I, w I wasn't good enough to do it. Imposter syndrome. Yeah, imposter syndrome, right, great call. Imposter syndrome, not good enough to do it, too big a challenge in front of me. And then I talked myself out of it on, on this bus. So by the time I... I um, get to my bus stop, I've taught myself how to get off it, right? You know, because I think some of it as well was, I really loved playing amateur as yeah. well at that point, and I thought it was going to take me away from playing amateur. I was playing for the under-18s, and we had a great side, and, and under-18s at that point, you know, you're turning from 17 to 18, mm. so obviously, you, you, amateur level, you're all out on Friday night together, you know, you're all out on Saturday night together, you play Sunday, you go out to get together all Sunday, and I think some of it was a bit both a bit. If I look back, I would say it's 8% imposter syndrome, 20% of me not wanting to kind of leave that mm. behind because mm. I would have had to leave that behind to be a professional player. So, so you never went that day? You, you no, went straight no, I never went, no, no. And then the next day? No, no, I, I, I caught a bus on, my dad spoke to him and uh, they said, look, you know, you can have one more, one more opportunity. Well, was there an excuse? Did you, or it just, my, it just, dad just said, look, he's not, he's, he's basically bottled it, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> so they didn't so, make, yeah. yeah, they didn't But what's it, you know, there's no up. point lying about it, is yeah. there, you know. So I think <laughs> no right way to do the wrong thing, right? So, you know, lying, and did, so. did that, did, did then you feel that you had to prove people wrong and, you know, that you weren't a, a bottle job? Yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and I, I think proving people wrong is a good motivator, right? And mm. I think I had to prove myself wrong as well, you know? And I, I thought to myself, um, you know, this is my big opportunity and, I, and I've got to take it now. I don't want to let people down. I don't want to let myself down. So I need to take it and I need to make the most of it because I, I do know if I don't do it, mm. I, I can have a good time with my amateur teammates, but I reckon I could be that bloke in the public 25 going, I could have done that. Mm. It's, in, it's incredible to hear you say this now, given the career that you've had. Yeah. That this should have been a moment that was so exciting and sort of, yeah. you know, at the beginning of an, an amazing two decades. Yeah. Mm. 
But at that point, I didn't see it as something exciting. I saw it as something that could fundamentally change how I viewed rugby league. Yeah. And also something that I had a big chance, in my eyes, of failing at, of being going there, failing at. You know, you can imagine. So I've never been picked for these leagues or Yorkshire sides. No one's been interested in me. Mm. And now I've got to go play with people I actually watch on, on Sky Sports. Mm. That, that's, I think, a big step up. It's incredibly daunting, isn't it? Yeah, for a young yeah. man. I, I remember when I was 16, I was playing rugby in Oldham, and um, my dad was involved with the club, but he knew Brian Noble, who was head coach at Bradford at the time. And they were friends, and my dad, he said to my dad one day, oh, what's Mark up to? He said, he plays rugby. He said, oh, do you want to come for a trial at Bradford? Um, not knowing if I was any good on it. Anyway, I went along, and for six weeks, because I played in the Lancashire League rather than the Yorkshire League, I didn't know anyone. And I could, when JP was talking, then I can resonate with that because when you don't know anybody, that that's like a little collective, little group of players that are already seen to be on the on the way up to to start stardom. Mm. And it's 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 so daunting for yeah. you for a young man at 16, 17, 18 to kind of join a big brand like Bradford Bulls at the yeah. time. And I, I, yeah, I probably would have done the same thing if my dad didn't drive me. I would have probably done similar. How, how quickly did those nerves ease then? What was that first training session like, that first hit, that first big yeah, impact? Yeah, it, it was tough and intense, right? And I was really quiet. I knew my place and I just kind of just got on with it and just, you know, tried to be my best, trying not to poke anybody's nose out. Like the dressing room back then, so this is like 1995, 1996, is a completely different place to how it is now 25, 26 years later. Mm. There's blokes there who have just basically only just gone full time and, and there's, there's, there's no no PC there and, and it, you know you make a mistake there and people are, are into you who were the big personalities back then um, so you had some great guys back then Graham Badley was probably the biggest personality in the dressing room and Brian McDermott you know and they had James Laws in there you had Bernard Dwyer in there Paulo Lachlan like proper yeah. kind of old school kind of players and some great guys like Scott Naylor Mike Forshaw but you know, I, I kind of quickly worked out, right, is that if I'm, you know, watch what I'm saying, work really hard, try really hard, and these guys will probably, you know, get on with me, and, and that's how I kind of worked my way into mm. it, by just getting on with things, being quiet, minding my own business a bit, and just making sure anything I did, I did as well as I possibly could do it, you know, yeah. and I think, and I started doing extra training, and then over time, you know, these senior players begin to see that and they respect it, I think, and they, res they respect the effort that you're trying to put in, yeah. I, I think. Three of your nine grand final wins came at Bradford, didn't they? Yeah. Just try and paint a picture of what that was like at that place in the, in the late 90s. It was a win. I mean, you've played for two winning machines in, yeah. in Leeds and, and Bradford so early on in the Super League era, but what a place to be playing your trade. Yeah, what a place to be, you know, so lucky. I, I, I think if I signed anywhere else at that point, I wouldn't have had the career I went on to have because yeah. of the environment I was in. Uh, with the coaching staff and with the players there that I, I, I could learn for, I thought uh, when I initially got into the team, there was a lot of kind of hard-working players, but then as we began to become successful, they signed more and more star players, you know, like an Emery Paul and Leslie Vinicolo, Shantae Sean, Nappi, to go with all these hard-edged players. And the dressing room then, you know, was completely different. It was We had a really hard drinking culture back then. That's that's how it was back mm -hmm. then, that you, you would play on Friday, would be out late Friday, 
people will be out Saturday, people will be out Sunday, and then you come back on Monday and you just train hard. We've put in the hard work, there's no doubt about it, all, all the way through. And I kind of think the thing that stands out for me was just how different the characters were. I think that diversity mm. was the reason why we were so successful. We just had like mad diverse characters within the team, and yeah. I think us all coming together, um, we're just, we're, we were super talented as well, and I think. One other thing, we had some great young players come through. You, you, you know, like I, I came through with like Lee Radford, uh, Stuart Fielding, Leon mm. Price, Paul, Paul Deacon. Wow. Uh, Mick Withers was there at the time. He, he, he was a, a, a young player too. I probably missed some others. Nathan McAvoy was there at the time as well. There's some. Mm. Um, they just got the timing was right for the club. I think you know, great overseas, good hard nosed experienced players, good younger players, and I think when you got those three things. And generally, you'll be successful, and, and we had some good times. I'm fascinated by the drinking culture because I don't know how you boys do it. And I've seen, you know, even evidently the, you're rough. Well, <laughs> I know, but I mean, I, I drink and I look horrendous. Now, the fact that you guys, and I know you train ridiculously hard yeah. and, and so on, but you look the way that you do, and the, the, you know, absolute specimens, and you know, the peak of athleticism. But you, and it still carries on now, Mark. I mean, you've only oh, just hung up yeah. your boots. It, it I, is I, still I find a hard... it's a bit of a badge of honour for a rugby league player to kind of burn the candle at both ends, and it's. You know, if a lad was out, you would play Friday, you were out Friday, Saturday, Sunday. There's no way if you'd done those three nights, would you ever call in sick on the Monday, would yeah, you? Yeah, the, the, the good players won't do that, you yeah. know. The, the best players won't do that. You would you, you would get people, some players, you, or the average ones would blob after something like that. But mm. the good players, you know, that's how you build mental toughness a little bit. Yeah. It's probably not the right way to do it, but mm. getting in on Monday and training harder than anybody else, mm. you know, that, that was... I think things have changed a bit, and you know, whereas... So, well, certainly at Leeds, the back end, it was a lot more professional. We, we were, you know, a lot more ruthless on what we were doing. But I think, yeah, that that just... Um, Brian Mack once said to me, Brian McDermott, is in, they told him this in the army, he said, it's no good uh, uh, hooting with the owls unless you can soar with the eagles the next day. <laughs> oh, Which means you can drink as much as you want, but yeah. train fucking hard the next yeah, yeah. day. You know? But I always wonder, again, like, don't get me wrong, I'm no prude in that sense, but I just, I just wonder how... Much better everyone would have been. Yeah, exactly. I wonder that. Yeah, <laughs> in I look terms back of now. stats and turnovers and everything. Yeah, I look back now and say, you know, if that Bradford Bulls team, if we'd have probably treated alcohol the way we did probably in the last, you know, five years at the Rhinos, mm. what, what would that team have been like? You know, yeah. did you have a strong cohesion between and in terms of team spirit and working for each other during that period? Because I find that sometimes teams that drink and party hard. John alludes to it from the successful team times he had at Saints. Mm. They have a real bond on the pitch, yeah, which, you which do. goes a long mm. way. You, you know you do. You know, you know I, I think you, you know, having a drink together, whether you like it or not, does, does bring down barriers mm. and creates bonds between people. Uh, and it, and it, you have a good time, basically. You, mm -hmm. you know, like I say, like no good story starts with I was drinking a water and having a salad, right? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But it don't. But that's you get those stories and it brings you together uh, as a group. And and I think that's the benefit of doing it. I'm picking and choosing now the right time to do it, but. We, we, for us, it'd be like, right, we play as hard as we possibly can Friday night because mm. make sure we win. And then we, we all get out together and we, we enjoy it together. And at that point, we had, you know, 10, 11 players staying over from Lancashire in, in the hotel. So it, it'd always be a six or seven o'clock in the morning finish. You'd be yeah. up and train at nine <laughs> o'clock. Oh, my and God. Just getting oh, get That is insane. So yeah, insane. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, how, how sad is it for you, JP, to look back at? Bradford now and see the sort of the demise of that club given the memories you had there yeah I think it's huge inside I, I think for me as an ex-player it's probably 
it's a, it's a little bit easier than it is for a fan because I, I go on and I go play for the Leeds Rhinos, I go have another career. But mm. if you're a fan of the Bradford Bulls and you think like 20 years ago you were competing against the best in the world, you're mm. playing in World Cup challenges, you're playing in grand finals, and that's, and that's the pinnacle as a fan, isn't it? You know, when you go to these big events and win. And right now, you know, they're playing and they've got three or 4,000 people there. I, I think it's really hard for the fans to go from such great days to where they're at now. And I, I think it's really disappointing to see, see what's happened to the, the Bulls as a brand and mm. uh, as a club. You know, I think the competition w would be better if we had a st strong Bradford in it overall. You yeah. know? It, do you reckon there's a route back for the mark to, the, to those sort of days? And would that fan base come you know, crawling back? I think they would. The longer it goes on, the, the chances are a bit less, I'd say. But Bradford is such a rugby league stronghold in, in yeah. this country. And the history they've got, uh, the juniors that they bring through, you know, we see superstars who play for, you know, Bentley and, and John Bateman and the Burgess brothers and all the rest of them came through at Bradford. Mm. So they've still got that, you know, that nucleus of a, a rugby league love in the in the town. It just probably just needs a bit of a helping hand. I think, yeah, there's a few, it's, it's right, it's that how much has come through there. We did, most, we did it like quizzes when we were playing with England mm. and we split it up into Bradford versus Rest, you know, really, because <laughs> that many players came through Bradford. This is in the recent times, you know, with Burgess and Elliot Whitehead and John Bateman and people have been associated with Bradford. I think the trouble with Bradford will be is when, when, I, when I was saying like the end of the, you know, 1990s, beginning of the, of the turn of the millennium, all the kind of floating fans, you know, in Ilkley and mm. Harrogate and Nairsborough would support the Bulls, not the Rhinos. But mm. I think the Rhinos' success has swallowed mm. all those up. Mm. So it'd be, I think it'd be challenging. They need a sustained period of success to get back to 15 and 20,000. Mm. But yeah, I Those were great days when I used to drive over with my family from, from Oldham and there'd be Bradford Leeds and there'd be 23,000, 25,000. Oh, yeah. And it'd be the best atmosphere of any game apart from the grand final, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. They, they were incredible. They, they, they were the best derbies to play in, particularly, yeah. you know, at Bradford when Leeds started playing well and it was really competitive and it was yeah. just, they were, the, they were great to play. Yeah. And you, you know, like the Saints Wigan, right? You know, the, I, think, uh, I, I think in sport, if you've got a, 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 a rival, a keen rivalry, the, every sport needs those, don't they? You know, it's no good having a team out in front. You've just mm. seen that with the, 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 the football with the Premiership going down mm. the last day with Liverpool and yeah. Man City. That great rivalry brings out the best in the teams, I mm. think. You, You'd already have Barry McDermott taking Stuart Fielding's head off as well. Extra little bit of spice. So 2006, you, you went to Leeds and as a, as a Leeds boy, was, was that a dream move? Was it a difficult move from Bradford to Leeds? I, um, it was a dream move for me. Uh, I, well, the thing is, I signed in, which well, you're not supposed to do, but February 2005, I, mm. I signed. Uh, I mean, not supposed to sign well, June, but I was arguing with the club about some things. And, and uh, basically, they said, you know, there was, I was captain of the club at the time, one of Manistee, captain Great Britain. And we were talking about contracts. They said there's no more money. And then they signed like Yestin Harris yeah. on whatever Yestin was. I'm not, I'm not having to go at Yestin here, not all. Um, I'm going to go at the club. Mm. You know, I'm just lying. As soon as someone loses your trust, then I'm like, I'm done. And I wanted to play for Leeds anyway as a kid. Mm. Then I saw how good the young players were, were coming through at that time. Uh, so for me, it was a dream move to go there yeah. and to finish in the right way with the Bulls, win the Super League trophy. But the first year there was really, really tough for me. Um, was difficult. And I think what I underestimated was, you know, the effort you need to put in to make bonds, get bonds with your teammates. Mm. Uh, the game was changing at the time. I'd gone from a, a dressing room that was about big characters and... Uh, big nights out and, and playing hard to a team that was about professionalism and, and the big character was Tony Smith at the time, more so than, than, than the players. So me and him, you know, had our run-ins along the way with it. So for 2006 was it, was it for, on a, 
a level for Leeds Rhinos for me was a challenging year for me where I, I didn't deliver on, on my best. Mm. Um, you mentioned some of those characters and we, we had JJB on, didn't we, last season, Mark? And I, I'm really intrigued to get your thoughts, JP, on the the winning machine. The, the, you know, we, Klopp talks about his Liverpool team being the mentality monsters now, but what you guys did at Leeds, I mean, you yourself, you won tw 12 major trophies there. In incredible. Where, how do you even try to sum up what the culture was at that place? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 that is a difficult question. I mean, I, I just think the culture, the, 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 I think in any good sports team, people have confidence in themselves, and you can say that's ego, right? But I think we, we all have confidence in ourselves, but we weren't bothered who got the kind of limelight. They weren't one person going, you know, it's all about me. It was never that at the club. And I think we were lucky that we had three great coaches, you know, who added in their different ways, Tony Smith, Brian McClendon, Brian McDermott. Our overseas players were outstanding. You know, we had some brilliant, brilliant overseas players. We had like Ali Lawatiti, uh, Kali Luluai. Brent Webb. Yeah, Brent Webb, Danny Badiris, Brett Delaney, um, Scotty Donald. We had, a, we had a number of great overseas players. We had players who played for the club who come through from Leeds who really cared about the city. And I think a good thing we were do, good at doing was like, we weren't all best mates, right? But we were really good that we could disagree with each other, but we commit to something, we commit to winning or commit to what was needed for us to be able to win. And then we get in a final and everyone would know their role and just do them fucking well. Mm. And if you can do that in a final, you'll win the finals. That phone has stopped. The phone yeah. <laughs> it's good timing. It was yeah, the, the best clip so far, and the phone was going. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, no, a, a, a amazing. Um, I, I find that the sort of to have that culture, I guess, is just a, there's a snowball effect there, isn't it? It, it? All about fine margins, and obviously, when you worked under Brian McDermott, it was a case of a bit like you hear Dave Brailsford talking about with British Cycling, it, addressing every little area. But but did you, did you what was it like to be part of that? bulldozer for, for so long. Yeah, I mean, it, it was great to be part of it. It comes with pressure, though. There's a lot of pressure at the Leeds Rhinos. For, you look back now, and you say, like, 12, 12 major trophies there. But there were lots of really, really difficult times there. You know, lots of times where we've been booed off, where we've not played as mm. well as we could, where the fans got on, on our, our back. Uh, and playing at a big club uh, like Leeds, or, or, you know, you know, playing at a big club like Wigan bring, brings pressure, right? It brings pressure, and you've got to learn to be able to handle that pressure. But you know, um, one thing that stood out for me is the quality of players you play alongside. Mm. I think I, I learned that in, in no disrespect when I played, I came out of retirement and played a bit for OKR mm. and I trained with them a few times and I'm like nearly 39 and like only done like four weeks training. And like my level of intensity of training is like a notch above 80% of the players there. Mm. Then we get, when we get in a game, you just feel like lads can't play at that intensity. Whereas when, when you're in a good team, and it, it's so much easier to play better because it's a different mentality. I yeah, think. yeah. And, and I say this with no disrespect when I was at, when I first went to Salford, but having played at, in Australia and at Saints and at Wigan, the expectations are different at those clubs. It's 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 not acceptable to lose. Whereas I think sometimes because the smaller clubs have have probably used to mediocrity, they kind of. It's, it's a little bit more acceptable. I think mm. the players probably, it breeds into the players as well. But when you're at a club like Leeds, yeah. like if you're losing, it's, it's not good. It's yeah. not good at all. You know about it. But uh, so, so some of the clubs that haven't had that success, 
it's probably, you know, oh, we're used to this, we're used to winning one and losing one. Mm. But big clubs like Saints, Wigan, Leeds, it's just, it doesn't happen. I'd agree with that. You know what? You use a great word there, mediocrity. Mm. I, I fucking hate mediocrity. It's mm. a waste of time. It's just an absolute waste of time. And I, and I think that come through as a player. You know, if you're not trying to do your best all the time, then why, why are we playing or why are we doing this or why are we training or why are we, why, why are we competing? You know, we, we're there to try to do as well as possibly can. Whereas I agree with you that in, in some lower clubs or some players who don't make it quite to the top, they're happy just being mediocre. And mm. For me, it's just a waste of time. What's the point? And, and as a player like you, you wouldn't mind playing with someone who had mediocre talent, but it's the mentality that's got to be competitive, win every player, do everything you can for your team. That's that's the big difference. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I, for a guy, like I played with Ian Kirk uh, at the Leeds Round. Ian Kirk is never going to be a superstar, right? But when it mattered, he put his body on the line and give you every, everything he's got. You know, in the grand final, he'd come on for 20 minutes and he would tackle everything that absolutely moved and he contributed towards us winning. And I think it's because he's surrounded by people that won't accept any less than that. And he understood, he's very self-aware, very intelligent. Well, I need to play like this if I want to stay in that team. And I, and I think some of the lesser light players understood that as well and contributed as much towards us winning. So was that mediocrity called out? Was that exposed? And if, and if it did exist at Leeds, those players didn't last a second? Yeah, there. they don't last long. They, you know, they, you, you do your contract and then you won't get another contract. Mm. Or you'll find yourself out of the team because it's just it's seen as unacceptable and you'll stand out. You know, you stand out like, like a sore thumb if you're the guy who's happy with mediocrity, happy with being average. Mm. What was your relationship, that early relationship, like with Tony Smith? Yeah, Tony, I mean, I think me and Tony have got a good relationship now, but that first year was a bit trying where he had to work out and find out how, how to deal deal with each other. You know, he's a straight shooter, I'm a straight shooter, and we we, we, we clashed a few times mm. over things, but we, again, we learned to be able to disagree with each other, but to commit to do the right thing uh, by, the, by the team. And, you know, in 2007, I, I think Tony got the best out of me uh, as a player, 2007, particularly in the back end of the year, because I, he did a great thing. I, I asked him, I said, Tony, I said, you need to trust me. Mm. You need to trust me and just leave me out on the pitch, right? I might look tired, I might look shattered, but I can drive people around me. I, I can make the people around me better, you know, by what I say to them. And I can push through this, you know. I don't, I'm not a problem being pushed through with tired. And he had a choice, you know, and he decided to go, go with me. And I think our relationship developed then because he realised he could trust me on the pitch. Mm. And, you know, in 2007, we, we, we win the grand final against the Great Saints team. We smashed the Great yeah, Saints yeah. team. How important is that trust then with those players? Because you, you mentioned the guys that you came through with there and, you know, the youngest guys that were coming through as well. That sort of band of brothers... Of, of characters and, you know, I mean, Rob Burrow, JJB, Danny Maguire, some unbelievable leaders as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think trust's a great word. I, I think in the great teams, you all trust each other's ability. But trust comes, right, in great teams from delivering on your word. So if you deliver on your word to your teammates, then your teammate will trust you. So if you all say, I'm going to do this for you today, and mm. you consistently go out and do it, then your teammate will trust you. And then when you all trust each other, you've far more chance of winning, I think, and you become more than the sum of your parts. But it requires, the hardest thing behind it is delivering on, on, on your word, always, mm. always doing what you say you're going to do. And then that builds trust from it. And I think the thing is with trust as well is that, if it's, I think if you think of, you know, anybody's listening now or, or a sat here, somebody who's 
broke trust with you. Trust is one of them bridges in life that's really hard to build back up again. Mm. I think when, once you burn a bit of trust, it's difficult to get that back. And I think that's what can happen with, with players if they don't deliver. You know, I, I think that's one of your great strengths as a player, right? Was I, I reckon you delivered on your word all, all the time in the insider, and I, you probably pr prided yourself, if mm. I'm not wrong on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was, we talked about mediocrity before. I think as a player, I was probably, talent-wise, I've reached my potential, but I always wanted to be, you know, when you retire, People say, talk about other people, and they go, oh, he, you'd want to go in the trenches with him. Mm. You'd want to be a player. You'd want to go into a big game. You know he had your back. Now, I always wanted to be that player because, like I said, you, you can't really uh, affect how big, strong, fast you are. But in terms of character, you can have a big say in that. And I, I always wanted to be a player that wanted others to, to, to play alongside and be there when the going got really tough and it was like sink or swim. I wanted to be that player that turned up for his mate. Jamie, standards are so important for you. Have you ever let anyone down? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, do you know what? I, I let, some, I let um, the Bradford Bulls down massively in 2003. So 2003, I, um, I, I was out drinking and I, I, I put this right hand through a, a plate glass window mm. and, the, the, and it sliced at my hand all the way through. Blood was spurting out everywhere. Um, I ended up going to the A&E at like four o'clock in the morning. Mm. And um, I ended up with like a, a postage size piece of glass stuck into my hand. And I uh, got there and they recognised who I wore. And I had to ring Nobby the coach about two hours later, six in the morning, and say, look, I've, I smashed my hand. Uh, I cut through all my tendons and ligaments. And I, I was out for eight weeks mm. then. And for me, you, you know, I was out for eight weeks. And I let everyone down, you know, I let my friends down, my family down. Let the club down, let the players down, anyone associated with me by that behaviour. Now, off the back of that, I came back so determined to put things right for, for the people around me. And that's the year I won the Man of Steel. I reckon that's the year my career kicked on yeah. because of that disappointment and letting people down. I, I think my career, I, I played for England, played for Great Britain. And performance level kind of plateaued a little bit, 2001, 2002. Mm. But this incident, in, you know, I could have gone one or two ways with it. And my, my way was to go, right, I'm not going to drink, like, shots for, for the rest of the year, right? I know it's not <laughs> a big... But for me, it was shots. a big commitment because my head goes, right? And um, What kind of shots <laughs> yeah, in particular? Anything. I think it was, what was that red stuff that they used to sell all the time that oh, oh, tastes yeah. horrible? Like, and it's, what was it? Yeah, it was the only what kind was of that? I know exactly oh. what you mean. I can't think what it was. Yeah, like cinnamon in taste. Yeah, it's cinnamon yeah, yeah. To aftershock. Aftershock. That's shock. it. <laughs> <laughs> we all know, right? So then, and that kind of spurred me on, and it, and it really kicked my career on from there, from letting everybody down mm. uh, to going on and like winning Man of Steel, and you know having my best ever uh, year or so far in my career. Like you said, that that could have gone two ways, and, yeah. and that is your mentality because not a lot of people would have that self awareness, would yeah. they? And and Mark, you you've seen this from a distance, but someone like Jamie, you can't coach what he's got inside that head can you really no, playing against people like JP you know exactly what you're getting and you can predict what they'll be like behind the scenes because there's certain characters that just it's just obvious what they, they bring to a team and a club and um, yeah I think the leadership from him and Kev Sinfield Maguire and, and, and probably half the team at Leeds was a massive reason why they were so successful mm. they've won just one grand final since you've left which is, again, we talked about the sort of demise at Bradford. It, it has not been the same lead since those days, has it? 
Yeah, I think it's it's a huge transition for the club. I think if you look, there's been a not not just myself, a number of big name players retire. Obviously, you had Kevin Simpio, Danny McGuire, mm. uh, Kylie Lulai, Rob Burrows, Jamie Jones, Buchanan. Uh, I put Ryan Bailey in there and uh, Brett Delaney as well. They were they were a huge part mm. of our success. Ryan Hall in there. There's some real players uh, who were just central to the success and I don't think the problem was you know when you've got a group together like that it inhibits young players coming in because they think why would a 16 year old sign for the club in 2010 because you think for the next five six seven years I'm not going to get a spot and I think that's what the club's been wrestling with and I just think in any sport you see it uh, you look at Manchester United now you know have they ever recovered from Fer Fergie mm. going they've not have they right you look at how long it took Liverpool to get back win win yeah. winning again and I just think that transition in sport is just hugely, hugely, hugely difficult to do and yeah. I think the more I think there's less money for a club to spend on talent now than the you know whatever the spending goes go as far yeah. as it did so it's rel relatively with the NRL especially, it just you can't pick up those players and then you lose yeah. big stars to other clubs over here. Yeah, either. exactly. You can't like, you know, for like a replacement for me, you could like Dale Fanukin who yeah. played. You'd think he'd be a great replacement for me, but the, the club couldn't afford him. The club couldn't afford mm. somebody like them now, so they can't. It's really hard for them to replace. I think. Yeah. Like for like, and you think we're all we're all basically playing on unders, really. You know, 20, 25, 30 percent under market value. So just just because we want it to stay together. Yeah, I'd like to keep this as timeless as possible, but um, I know there'll be a lot of Leeds fans listening yeah. and, and we want your opinion on it. But obviously, Richard Agar going and Rowan Smith coming in and how, how quick can things turn around? Can they get anywhere near back to those, those glory days? How long is it? You know, how, we, we talk, you mentioned Manchester United. You know, um, Ralph Rangnick was saying that a few weeks ago that they're sort of six years behind Liverpool. Is, is there a quick fix to, for Leeds to, to get back to somewhere near the, the golden days? I think, it, I think it, um, like six years, I think they're probably right there in terms of that. I think building culture takes time. It's not a, not a one week, two week, mm. one month or three months. Three months you can start to do it, but then you've got to get your recruitment right and that can take salary cap sport one, two, three years to get right. So I think they're on the right path and I think they've got some, the younger players have got coming through are good and I just think um, Rowan you know I want to see what he brings to the side you know he's been in lots of different clubs he's bringing his own take on it and he, he needs time to be able to get his stamp on the club and hopefully he can begin to build and um, develop a culture you know Saints look at Saints you know that they, they took them 10 years really mm -hmm. would you say well, to yeah. get back where they well, wanted I was to be I think it's a 10 year time span me to replace like wow. a golden generation I think I, I was the I first signed at Saints in 2012 and I could see they were coming out of a different era and into a new one. And then by the time we got to 2014 and won, won the comp, you could see the Lomaxes, the Percivals, the Makinsons, the Wormsleys, all these guys coming through that you could kind of say, that's a little dynasty that's been created there. Mm. And now, in 2022, what, eight years later, probably half the team that, that's competing and winning everything now was there back in 2014. So mm. the success they've got now was this, the seeds were laid eight, ten years ago, and that's what they're seeing the successful now. And, and, and that's the thing, I don't know what in other sports, but in rugby league is that, so the, the players you're talking about when they come through, we've got players at Leeds Rhinos in that 20 to 24 year old bracket who were great players. But that age, right, you don't know what it takes to win games. Mm. I reckon it takes you till 29, 30, 200, 250, 300 games on your belt before you can really start to understand 
what actions kind of win games. You understand. I think when you're age 20 to 24, you're more concerned with your own personal performance and keeping yourself in the team rather than understanding what the actions are going to contribute towards your winning. And mm -hmm. I think that's why it's such a long period, I, I believe, from a uh, young players, a group of young players coming through into them developing into a, a winning, you know, uh, culture and a winning team. And they need the role models. Like yeah. it's all about Saints, they had Paul Wellens, yeah. unbelievable guy, great captain. John Wilkin, we slag him off, but great player, great leader. Roby, he's not a big speaker, but from actions, mm. the way he plays is is a is a is a model professional in any sport. So having those figureheads at a club for young guys to aspire to be like to be to be like is is really big as well. But because you are such a great leader, JP, how um, hard is it for a coach to to win you over? Um, I don't think it's that hard for a coach. I always give everybody a chance in life. You know, you've always got to, any coach comes in, you've got to give them, you, you've got to listen to them and buy into to, to what they say. And uh, for me, you know, every every coach that I, I've, I've worked for, I've always tried to give my best. I've always tried to work with what, what they're going to say. And I, and I think... You, you, I think a coach should value somebody who's going to tell them the truth, I, I think, you know, and it, whether they, uh, they, they like it or not at first, you know, like like we, we all want feedback, but when we're giving it, we don't like it, right, And at first. And I think for me, um, the coaches I've worked for, I've always tried to give my best. I've always been 100% behind them, um, committed to what they've done. You know, I've been in dressing rooms before where people don't agree with the game plan. I've gone back into the coach with some other players. The coach has said, we're, we're, not, we're sticking with the game plan. We're not changing this one. And I, I'll go back down and say, well, we're just fucking doing this game plan then. Well, let's do this game plan to the best of our, our abilities, right? Because that, that's what's going to happen. We're, we might disagree with it, but we're, we're going to commit and, and, and do it. So, so for me, I, I, I think I, you know, probably I've had relationships with coaches that have been... Uh, Difficult at times, or a bit uneasy, or but friction. You need friction in winning. Mm. You know, winning's not easy, and you need some friction in winning. And at the end of the day, I want to win. They want to win. We both want the same thing. I, yeah. I think that that's that. My intention. My intentions are never to undermine anybody, or to undercut everybody. My intentions are let's win. And how can we win together? You mm. know. And if that's me telling you something you might not want to wear, or you doing the same to me, and me talking about it for a day before I come back and say, do you know what? You're right. Yeah. Well, that's how it should be. Three very different characters, Noble, McDermott, Smith. Who, who got the most out of you? Who did you have the most respect for? I, I think Brian McDermott probably got the most out of me. I, I thought Nobby, let's talk through all of them. You know, Nobby was great for me coming through uh, as a younger player. You know, really tried to look after me as, as a young guy. I played for him in the reserves. Mm. Uh, he, he had good people management styles, which suited me at that time as I was coming through. Then technically, I learned just so much from Smithy about the game. Uh, really developed me technically as a player. You know, where to be, what to do, what the right actions at the right time. But then I think Brian Mack, you know, understood me as a person and got the best out of me because of that. I think, you know, Macker is a good all-rounder. So I, I think lots of coaches are, are, are good in really strong in one area, maybe not so good, not so good, but average maybe in the other two. So you might be a really good tactician. Uh, you might be really good at discipline. You might be a really good people person. Macker was good across all of them, right? He, he had a good take on all of them and he yeah. got, he, you know, he should be in Super League now. Uh, should be coaching in Super League is a miss, but I think he's probably too big a character for most uh, CEOs or owners to work on. <laughs> <laughs> he's intense. We had him on, didn't we? Yeah, we did, what, yeah. what a guest he was. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, some of those dressing room team talks must have been unbelievable. Yeah, oh, he, he had a great knack of being able to... Um, 
pull a group together and get a cause behind you that you wanted to believe in. And, you know, we played in some, um, and, and there was more to him than that. There was more depth to him than, you know, the Al Pacino talk or rallying a group. You know, he came up with a number of game plans to, like, shock teams where we were underdogs and we came out of the game plan. They didn't expect it and we nailed it. So he, he knew his stuff as well. Yeah. Um, I want to talk to you about your motivational speaking and right. everything, everything yeah. sort of post post rugby but, but before we do that an like, amazing club career how do you look back on your your england memories and your great britain memories yeah i mean they're some of the fondest one, ones i've got um, I, I love playing for england and great britain probably more than the rhinos and the bulls because I, I really it's really special to play for play for your country mm. um, and get selected to do that and particularly a captain your country i think is the biggest you know honor you you can get and i just you know i've had some great moments you know playing for great britain you know scored a try on my debut in under two minutes, I got like the, I, when I look back at my England and Great Britain career, I'm pretty proud of it. I, I became the, you know, in the England in the World Cup in 2000, I didn't get picked for the first game, but I thought to myself, I'm going to get myself in this side, and, I'm gonna, and when I get my chance, I'm going to keep keep my position. And I got to play against uh, Russia, believe it or not, <laughs> the, the rugby league powerhouse yeah, of yeah, Russia. Yeah, probably we, we would talk They're about on the way that. up, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, but I managed to keep my position, became the top try scorer for England in the World Cup. Yeah. You know, got voted player of the tournament. And then Great Britain, you know, scored a try on, on debut, uh, involved in series wins against um, uh, New Zealand twice. Uh, last captain to beat Australia. Um, was that in 2005? 2006, yeah. In, in Sydney? In Sydney, yeah. How was that, that game? Yeah, yeah, what yeah. game? Yeah, oh, unbelievable. Did you ever get Willie Mason back, by the way, from that GB game? That's yeah, no, no, me and him were all right, you know, like, we're fine, yeah. It was, it was Stuart was, got knocked out, yeah, not Stu me, it was me who got him back, back yeah, <laughs> in the game. But yeah, I mean, yeah, like... Uh, it was a hell of a punch, wasn't it? I mean, yeah, what, no, was, yeah, what yeah, was it, said, because you, you shoved him, What was, it, was there anything said in no, between? No, no, it was Stu that pushed him at the play of the ball, and then, rather than pushing back, Willie Mason just threw one and dropped him. And then Sean Long came yeah, over. Yeah, Longy first. And then Longy referred to him. He, he put up a bit of a fight. Yeah. And I think he was buying time until you got there. Yeah, he got bowled over. And then yeah, and then the, bi- and then the big man came in. And then they all got... It was brilliant. <laughs> all started, yeah. All the older days. Off. Yeah, I got bought beers by some Aussies the next day. For, yeah. Even though we beat them, right? So it, it was... Uh, That's but, a victory, isn't it? Yeah, it is exactly a great victory. And then mm. I think, you, you know, we played in some great games in at this turn of the century where we, we kind of beat the Aussies, got to the Four Nations final. Then in the, in the back stages of my career, um, we, you know, we... we um, we, we made the Four Nations final thing. You know, two moments stand out for me, which are really hugely disappointing, was, you know, I played in the record defeat in Sydney, got beat 64 points to 12, just the World Cup in 2008. They're, they're the stick out as me as, you yeah. know, could have done better. <laughs> yeah. So look, you're a busy boy, obviously ambassador right. for Leeds, still doing loads of media, yeah. um, but I'm fascinated by this this career that you've got, motivational speaker, leadership sessions, and you, you know, talk to blue chip companies and so on. How did, how did that come about? Was that was that always something you were going to go into? No, it came about, right? Um, Damien Hughes, you know, off the High Performance Podcast, yeah. he was involved with us in the 2008 World Cup. Then, uh, you know, forever thankful for his input that after the World Cup, he says, you know, I think you, you've got a bit of a story. I think you, you, I, I can help you tell a bit of a story about your career, which can maybe transfer into school and business. So we sat down, we worked out a couple of different areas to talk about. We talked mm. about the self-belief one. We talked about having a good attitude and what that meant. Um, we picked one other area. Then he got me started going into schools and then started doing more schools, more businesses, started kind of developing my talks and 
bringing out different facets of it and then trying to work out, well, how, how do I actually lead and what does it look like? And is it transferable to other people? Can it be transferable? Then I start, and then it, that became a positive distraction for me in the last five years of my career, I reckon, that I'd be pretty busy doing that. And it get me away from the, play, the stress of playing the game. And then from, you know, 2016, uh, I did the whole KR director rugby, you know, not for me. Uh, I, I like to be doing lots of different things all the time. Then I, I developed the talking into like mentoring people and bringing people through and trying to create habits. Because I reckon my career was built off, you know, creating good habits in different areas. And I have now kind of developed people doing that. And then, and you just get asked to do things by business. And I'll, I just say, yeah. And then I'll work it out afterwards, work it out later after. So I'll say, can you do something around leadership? Yeah, I'll say, yeah. And then I try and work out how it'll work and then what'll work from. And through trial and error, you get to a place where, you know, I do a number of different things. I've got like leadership workshops, do a talk, I can do mentoring, I can do well-being, do a number of different things in mm. it. Uh, you have to have the right characteristics to be a good leader but you're saying you could be coached to, to be a good leader yeah the, the million dollar question then what, what does a good leader look like and I know you touched on that during your time at Leeds yeah I mean there's a few th lots of different things around leadership I, I think like number one is you know self-awareness and emotional intelligence are key right the ability to kind of understand people I think leading by example which for me is delivering on your word you know I think if you deliver on your word to people that you're leading and people will trust you mm. and they realize they've got your back I think you've got to be good at collaborating with people you, you got to put your ego away and you know it's not about being the best in the room we've got to get the best out of the room as well and I think as well that it's really important these days to build good relationships with people I think if you can build good relationships with people I think if you can deliver on your word I think if you can collaborate and then I think you are I believe you have to have a sense of humor and try and motivate people and I think they're the things that we can all kind of learn to try and do and that'll kind of lead most groups do, do you, so, you, I mean, you, you must, not just not to schools, you're going into businesses, you're going to uh, different challenges yeah. for you in, in terms of who you speak to. Yeah, of course it is. You, you, as soon as you get in, you've got to judge your audience. So I did some work the other day for the, on the frontline uh, leaders on the railway network, you know, on oh, wow. the, the levelling up of what's going to happen, you know, on the, the railway lines across. And I misjudged it. I came in, like, uh, dressed in a quite a nice shirt and uh, looking a bit prim and proper yeah. and I misjudged the room which took me then about 45 minutes to get them going right and then in, in what, in what just the, the lads were like working class lads like me yeah. and they see me come in and been told it was a safety session right and they see me come in like prim and proper in a shirt and that a bit clean shaven and, and I didn't really introduce who I, who I was you know and jumped straight into a bit of a well-being session yeah. and it took about a good 30-40 minutes to get going right mm. so I've changed that now. So the next session I did, right, I came in like with my Stone Island T-shirt on, right? <laughs> no, I was serious, right? And I had to change who I was, showed a little video of myself, uh, Scrapping Willie Mason. Then straight away, I've got my audience then. Because I know my content's good, but I've got to get my audience first. But I can't do that if I go down and speak to KPMG, right? I've got yeah. to go in there. And, I, and I've got to watch what I say, speak in the right language, change my vocabulary and how I use it. And I think it, you've really got to judge your audience and knowing your audience and learning from your mistakes is key. Because I know my content's good, but then your delivery's got to be right for the mm. audience. Yeah, it must be massively rewarding that, you know, when, when you get the feedback from people. I mean, is, is, is this something that you can see long term? Where's this going to take you? This, this yeah, career? I mean, I, I imagine me doing this till I finish, finish you know, my career, whenever that is, you know. Yeah. 
10 years time or whatever it's something i love doing you know i love mentoring people i love delivering the, the leadership sessions. i love seeing people like grow during it and i, I like doing the well-being in schools and that because you can see kids want to make a difference you know if you can build habits in a kid just what a big difference it makes to them growing older so mm. i i'm lucky um, we spoke about this just off this and it, if you can find something that gives you some purpose when you finish playing then life's easier when, when you transition. You know, you can have bad days and good days. You know, it's mm. not like just running around the field, right? Yeah. But it, it's easier. Yeah, when you, yeah, we're saying when you retire, it's really hard because you, one day you're a rugby player, the next day you're not. And in order to be a professional rugby player, it's something you've got to buy into from 14, 15, 16. And 20 years later, it ends. Mm. And the hardest thing is finding purpose and a sense of fulfilment every day and wanting to get up and, and achieve and do. And I find that some lads struggle with that. And I was speaking to JP off, off camera and both saying we're quite a good place where we yeah. enjoy what we do. And it's not about money. It's about, you know, that enjoying your life, really, just as much as anything else. Mm. You've always loved pushing yourself, though, haven't you? Pushing, pushing, pushing. How, how do you then post-rugby still get those those kicks R to push yourself? Running 100 miles, eh? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you're an ultra-marathon man. Yeah, well. that's it. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I, uh, what, the worst mistake I made when I finished playing was I stopped training for about six weeks. I felt terrible. Six weeks? Yeah, yeah. I was I just six like, months. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, ah, yeah, I thought, I feel terrible here. I, I actually like training. You know, I enjoy training, so I started training again. And what worked for me was doing a, a run of about 10 to 12k on a weekend felt like that physical exertion I needed instead of playing so for the first two or three years I kind of needed that to mm. substitute it but then obviously you do a 10k think I enjoy that you get to half marathon and then you enjoy that then you push out to a marathon so I did a few marathons and then I've, what's next and I've got a, a ladder run with uh, Simon Dent um, you know, he, and I know him, uh, he likes his running. So we got into ultra marathon running, you know, started doing some ultra marathons. And then, you know, just recently just finished with the, the double marathon round London twice, 100 miles. I'll not be running 100 miles again anytime soon, but I'll definitely keep running. I, I love running because it's so easy to do, you know, trainers on out, out the house. And I reckon any problem or anything you've feeling you can solve that problem within about an hour of running and yeah you'll, you'll never lose that then that sort of that quest to constantly challenge yourself no nah, because nah, i like it i think it sharpens your focus i think i think what can help players retire is when i, I think if you enter a, an half marathon you've got an hard deadline right because mm. you basically got to get ready for it or a marathon you've got to get ready for it so it makes you train mm. but i think if we don't have like hard deadlines then we we can get away from training we can say i'll be all right it'll be all right. But if you've got a marathon coming up, you mm. can't just say it'll be all right, I'll do it tomorrow. You do, you've got to do it today. Yeah, you know? I, I love the image of Jamie Peacock that's still training on his own, but like <laughs> mental. You still, you still have that intensity. Do you? Yeah, yeah, not you know, all the time. an easy training session. But, you know, even in the gym, you're still smashing it in the gym. Yeah, not all the time. My body won't let me do the things my mind wants me to do anymore, yeah. right? So I have to vary what I'm doing. But there's a few times I'm out on a run where I'm just going, right, let's just go as hard as we can here yeah. and just stay in that place where you're feeling sick and running as hard as you can, let's just, let's make it all the way back home, right? And you're not gonna quit once on the way back home, you mm. know? You don't, you don't change when you finish rugby, do you? No. You're still the same person that would have trained yeah. at 17, 18. Yeah. That never leaves you. So that mm. competitive edge or wanting to bring the best out on yourself or that yeah. cathartic kind of pushing your body, 
it still exists. It's just in a different format. Yeah, exactly. You just yeah change it in a different way. And I think it's, it's just a good way. I, I think in our lives, all we do all the time is say we get instant gratification in it. You say yes to things, swipe down. It's yes, yes, yes. But when you're running and pushing yourself, mm. you, your body's telling you you know to stop all the time, but you keep saying no, no, no to it all the way through. And I think it's a good way to be. It's opposite to how we kind of live our lives at the mm. moment. Yeah, uh, look, some unbelievable moments when you look back on your career, but things off the pitch, MBE 2012, and you went to meet the Queen. What, what an incredible day for you and your family. T take us, was it at the Palace? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a brilliant day. I came home from training um, with Great Britain in 2011. There's a really official envelope, official looking envelope. You know, when, the, it's, when it's brown, it's official, right? You know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good or bad. I, yeah, <laughs> I thought it was a speeding ticket or a tax fine, right? I opened it and it was asking if I wanted to accept the MBE, you have to accept it first. You're not allowed mm. to tell anyone. Um, so I, I accepted it, you know, only told my like, ex-wife at the time, then and my mum and dad. Mm. Came out at Christmas time. Uh, which was great, you know, got loads of great messages. It was just a really good, really nice award to get something outside with the league. Then what was great about it was that uh, my dad and my mum came down with me, um, Buckingham Palace, and my dad was ill at the time, so he still got to see me, you know, he was in the last kind of six months of his life. And because I get there early for everything, we got to Buckingham Palace early. Yeah. But there was a benefit to that because when you get there, you know, the, the winners, the, the, you know, the recipients, sorry, go off in one room. And, you know, the family go off in another, but because we were there first, mm. my dad got right to the front. He was on the front row of the seat. <laughs> and you've got to imagine, though, the, the, the hallway you get the MBEs is, 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 is fucking 50 metres long, right? Yeah. So 50 metres at the bottom, you're not seeing a lot, right? But my dad had the front row seat, so he was only literally three metres behind me while I'm shaking hands with a queen, where my mum was buzzing about that. And then um, what you realise when you're in room with all the recipients, that you're pretty young, you know, everybody else has got grey hair or nowhere in there, but like I am now, everyone's a bit older. And then you, you go through and see the Queen, MBEs, you know, are, are at the back. Uh, you know, you, they say you've got to shake around, take, take a step back. You know, she, she asked me a couple of questions. She asked, um, what she say to me? Oh, she says, um, you know, have you, do you enjoy playing the sport? Yeah, I says, says, I love it. I absolutely love it. So what are the teams you play for? I said, I play for Leeds, Bradford, you know, captain in Great Britain. And she said, have, have she you could have done the research, couldn't she? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But someone behind me said, uh, someone behind me said, Jamie Peacock, uh, MBE for rugby, services to rugby. And <laughs> yeah. then she went, uh, have you been playing a long time? So I went, oh, can't you tell by how much grey hair I've got? Because I had some grey hair at the time. Yeah. She just looked at me and just pushed, pushed my hand back. So basically she just brushed me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was an amazing day. It was a good day. But, uh, yeah. was, it, was it going through your head in that moment? Like, what am I going to say to her? Um, I was wondering what she was going to ask me, yeah. yeah. And I was just trying to make sure when you're in some situation like that, you want to get all the protocol right, don't yeah. you? You want to get to be head butting or bowing or something like that, you know? So, yeah, I was, I was flapping about that to me. I love that, brushed by the Queen. Yeah. Um, so, look, the, the, the type of person you are, uh, there's always a new challenge, as we've just established there. When, when you're sitting in the, the nursing home, rocking back <laughs> in the chair in however many years that may be, what needs to be ticked off? What's on Peacock's bucket list? Um, geez, that's a good question. I, I, you know what? I, I just want to for the. I want to live as healthily as I can for a long time, and I just want to. I want to enjoy life. I want to enjoy life with my friends, my family, and the people around me. And I want. I want to look back, 
and think I said yes to most things and I've got some great memories off the back of it for me. So it's not more about challenges, it's more about how, how I live my life and make sure I get the most out of our, our lives. And I think, you know, I, there was like studies, weren't there, on people on the deathbeds that, you know, the, the, the thing they don't look back, they don't look back and regret and say, I wish I'd have worked more, right? Or, or I wish I'd have worked either, look back and wish I'd have spent more time with friends and family, enjoy myself. So I think they're the things that are going to be my focus and just keep working in the work I'm going with and just kind of mm. enjoying my life post kind of rugby are the things yeah. for me. And look, Mark, I don't think anyone in, in a million years thought you, you'd be a motivational speaker, but you're, you're going no. on the road. You're, you're, I, you're going I'm, on tour I'm not with um, But yeah, um, so I think this week tickets go out for um, the Enforcers tour, which is um, JP, Adrian Morley and Sam are doing a bit of a live tour across the north of England. And it kind of stemmed from my testimonial um, and you're carrying the bags and stuff. For I'm you. carrying the bags. I'll be like brewing up. For is he agent? Is he I'm agent? It's like Eric Hall, you know, with oh, a cigar it? and that. <laughs> Monster I, was thinking, I was thinking Jerry Maguire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jerry Maguire. Um, this, is, no, this is exciting. It is I quite like exciting. So this. when it was my testimonial, like, I kind of thought, I want to do a rugby dinner. And um, I, I put on a list of who pe which people I'd like to ask to, to attend and, and to speak. So the top three names were JP, Moores and Sam Burgess. And fortunately for me, all three accepted. And they came and did a dinner for me. And it was... Um, quite unbiasedly, it was it was amazing. So we, we had the most decorated rugby league player the country's ever produced. We got Moz, who's he's got the world the the world record for the most amount of caps yeah. for his country, and then Sam, who's just Sam, is probably in my opinion the best player we've ever yeah. produced. And the, all three of them sat on a stage um, talking about the careers and the highs and the lows, the stories that you don't hear about, some of the superhuman efforts and. There's some of the scandals with, you know, not scandals, but, you know, the fights with Willie Mason and, and Moz getting sent off in nine or ten seconds on it for Great Britain. And uh, it was just, it was a great evening and everyone walked out of there feeling ten foot tall because it was it was so inspiring, some of the things that these guys had done. And um, I spoke to Simon Moran, who I know, who's obviously a massive uh, music producer and, and does festivals and stuff. And I kind of said, there's something in this. Anyway, he's, he's put it together and... Uh, they're doing four nights, uh, Warrington, Halifax, Leeds and Hull, just before the World Cup. And um, I think if you're a rugby league fan who probably um, watched Great Britain during the glory years of you know the 2000s and want to hear some stories from, from these legends, I think it's, it's, a, it's a great occasion. Yeah, we, I mean, us three have got a great relationship, you know, myself, Sam and Moza, through our time together, you know, playing for, playing for Great Britain, playing for England together. And I'll say the same, you know, I was on the stage that night, but it just, the hour, like, flew by, absolutely flew by. Uh, just went super quick. Uh, and I, I think Dave Woods is hosting it. He's great, you know, from the BBC. Yeah. He's really good at that. So I think it's going to be in for a great evening. I'm, I'm looking forward to just being part of it, seeing both of them, having yeah. a crack about old times again and talking about the World Cup and what's going on and that should yeah. be fun. There's a massive thirst for it, isn't there? Because yeah. people people love it. And like you say, with those yeah. those characters and those names, they speak for themselves. I think as well, but I think what's good about what you decided to do was rather than do it like a sportsman's dinner where you have to pay like 80, 90, 100 pounds to do it, it's like accessible for everybody. And it's like 20, 20, yeah, 20 22 quid. You know, um, so, you know, what's, what, I know it's a, uh, there's pressure on people's um, wages at the moment. It's yeah. tough times at the moment. But I think most people, if they really wanted to, for t 20 quid, get a couple of hours of entertainment, you know, with the three of us on, on stage, I, I just think it's, uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's just a good crack. It's yeah. just good mm -hmm. to relive good times in front of people and just share a bit of the joy of rugby league. And with some people. of the stories Sam had, because he, he won SAS Who Dares Wins in Australia. Yeah. And the amount of stories that he couldn't tell publicly about him, you know, and he, he kind of, he did things that 
he shouldn't have done for insurance purposes that never got released in terms of you know stealing a jeep and taking someone hostage. You said he too was, much already. Yeah, no, probably <laughs> haven't. I? But it was unbe- it was unbelievable some of these stories and uh, obviously Sam's a superstar off often on the field and. Uh, Moz, Moz is pretty good as well. Moz, Moz is a great speaker. You know, Moz is a great speaker, and he's got yeah. some great stories. He's a, he's a really good raconteur, Moz. He's got and he's got great timing with it. He's got a good sense of humour. And I think what's good is the three of us kind of buzz off each other when we're yeah. on stage. So it, it's got good chemistry. So where did they go, Mark? Go on one little plug. Um, it's Warrington, Hull, Leeds, and Halifax. Tickets. Uh, tickets go on sale on Friday from Ticketmaster. Um, yeah, I think it'll sell out quickly, so be quick. He did all right with Take That, didn't he, Simon Moran? Yeah, Take That, Beyonce, all the rest of them. Then yeah. he's got three, lot. three Northerners, <laughs> rugby players. Oh, JP, thanks so much, mate, for coming in. It's been great. I mean, we could speak to you for hours and hours and hours, and if Wilkin was here, we probably would have been going on for mm-hmm. a couple of hours. But really appreciate you coming in, mate. Thank you. Cheers. Well, I, I think you've been super impressive, given how much give sleep you've had in the party. Minutes, yeah, yeah. I want to know Brilliant, how you mate. knew it was 48 I'm minutes. I woke up being caressed by, uh, by Sean Wright Phillips, which was lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Very, Do you um, want to drop any names who you were partying with last night? Um, Phil Foden might have been there. Ooh. Jack Grealish. Ooh. Ruben Diaz. All the big dogs. Um, Ooh, like me, like me. Uh, exclusive. <laughs> Ruben, e- exclusive for you. Ruben Diaz's dad broke Noel Gallagher's nose. <laughs> How? In a celebration. In a celebration. In a celebration. Noel Gallagher's nose is cracked in four places and he spent the night in hospital. Respect. Didn't get to party. Respect, no. But I was there anyway. Um, give us a little follow, everyone, at Out of Your RL on uh, Twitter. Wilkin, unfortunately, will be back with us in a couple of weeks. Thank you for watching. Cheers, JP. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Cheers, Will.